morning, church. How you doing this morning? That was weak. Let's try again. Good morning, church. How you doing this morning? Hey, we do me a favor. We help. We help me welcome our online audience. Put your hands together and help me welcome them. Online church, we're so glad you're here this morning. Whether you're watching live or you're watching at some point in the future, thank you for tuning in. There's a ton of ton of great podcasts out there. A ton of great places that you can tune in. Thank you for being here today. We really do consider it an honor. And for those of you who are here in the room, hey, I just got to echo what James said. You look good this morning. I know you did a little something extra. You like gave yourself an extra minute. You put some extra smell good stuff on there. You gave put on your fancy shoes like Mike Jones does every every Sunday. And so you came in here and you just knew. You know why? It's because you are loved. You are loved. And so you're like, because you felt loved, you put on your fancy shoes. I know how that's where I got my fancy shoes on. I don't wear them every Sunday, but I wear them on certain Sundays. So listen this morning, I am excited to be here. My name is Brandon Harvey. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and so I'm excited to, uh, to be speaking this morning. But if you haven't noticed, Pastor Dave is not here this morning. He's actually at one of our, our sister ch- uh, churches, High Point Church in Friendswood, Texas. He's actually speaking there this morning. And so it's a church that we have a lot of relationship. Uh, pastors Dave and Tara, they have a lot of relationship with the pastors there. And so it's a, it's a cool thing whenever... Uh, really, you can go in other places that have very similar DNA, and that pastor, many of you that were here early on, you'll remember, remember pastor, it's Pastor Niemeyer, right? He came here, I want to say it was in our first year, and he spoke, and he invested in us, in our church, at a time, honestly, when we really needed it, and they were so gracious to do that, and so we just thank God for partners out there, that we are not in this thing by ourselves. But if you, if you would, will you join me real quick? Let's just pray for Pastor Dave, and let's pray for them. Let's just thank God for what God's going to do there at High Point Church. Father, we're just so grateful, God, that we have an incredible pastor. And Lord, we thank you this morning as he goes there to invest in that congregation and those people. God, that you would use him, that you would speak through him. God, that every purpose and intention that you have today for that church, God, would be received. God, that it would be walked out. Everything that you want for them, God, let it fall on that house today. Accomplish your purposes there with him. Be with Pastor Dave. Let him have a blast with that congregation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So how many of you guys actually were here last week for the start of Life Hacks? Anybody? All right, so the big question is this. Did you do the key fob trick? How many of you guys actually went out and tried it? All right, a couple of you guys. All right, so let's do this. For like the 12 of you who actually were here and, and, and tried this, let's take a poll. How many of you, it actually worked? Right, raise your hand. All right. We got a couple. All right, how many of you tried it and it didn't work and you just looked like an idiot? (laughs) Me too. I stood there in the middle of the baseball field. Um, Actually, I moved up like every 10 feet, right, to try it. I'm like, maybe. And then it was crazy. It was ridiculous. I know I look like a moron, right, doing it because I'm like this. I was looking around. I'm like, is anybody looking at me as I'm doing this? And I tried it. So, Pastor Dave, if you're listening to this at some point in the future, um, jury's still out on your life hack. So what I wanted to do this morning, I wanted to give you another one. So some of you guys that are a little bit more technical may actually know this. So I want you to do me a favor. Take out your phone and turn on your camera, right? And if your phone does not have a camera, I don't know what to, I don't know how to answer that for you, okay? But if you have a camera on your phone, I want you to get it out. So I want you to go there and I want you to turn it on selfie mode, right? Or in in the mode where you can actually take a picture of yourself, right? So some of you didn't know know that. So I'm going to show you, okay? So this is us, right? I'm taking a selfie of me, my fat face, and, and you looking beautiful. And what I want to show you is this. If you have a remote control, what you can do, you can turn it in selfie mode, and you can actually check the batteries on your remote control by doing this. So your eyeball cannot see this. It can't see the IR um, emitter. But when you put it on your phone, if you, some of you that will be able to see this, you can actually see 
that it turns red. And so what it does is the camera, because it actually has a frame rate that allows it to be able to capture this, it can actually see the IR, IR emitter in there. So you can check and see if your batteries on your remote control are actually the problem if you're ever having problems with a remote control. So is that worth the, worth the price of admission this morning? So, and I know that one works, right? So I don't have to, I don't have to put, put, you don't have to put this up to your head and press the button or anything like that, right? So, well, this morning, I am so glad to be here. I'm so excited. I consider it an honor to be in this, be on this platform. And really, church, I got to tell you, I love this church. I love being a part of it. My family is better because we are here, because God has planted us here. And I got to tell you, we have a wonderful church. And here's my shameless plug for small groups, for taking the next step. If you're doing life alone, don't do it, right? Put yourself out there. Get involved. Give someone your phone number. Get in a small group. Find some community. It is worth having. So with that being said this morning, um, I want to jump in here, and uh, we're going to get started on Life Hacks week number two. So before we do, got a cat joke I want to tell you this morning. How many of you guys like, guys like cat jokes? All right? Cat joke. All right, so here's my cat joke. Just kidding. All right, I tried it before service. It went over about as well. All right, anyway, so you'll think it's funny later, and you'll tell it to somebody because you'll be like, I remember this one. So uh, this morning, as we continue our series, I want to talk to you about this hacking calling or hacking our calling. Last week, Pastor Dave really, really did an incredible job of laying out both the beginning of the series, what to expect from it, but also hacking control. And some of you guys, I know it was really enlightening. It was really informative really challenging, causing us to really ask some, some difficult, kind of heart-stirring questions. And this morning, I really want to continue in that vein. So as we talk about hacking calling, first of all, let's define what calling is. Calling is defined as a strong urge toward a way of life. And specifically for a Christ follower, it is a drawing toward the things of God, a drawing towards Christ. But we really don't use this word in everyday life, right? We don't use calling, except if you're, if you're in church world, they use calling a lot. They use words like anointing, and, and they use other church words, right, that we really don't use in our everyday lives, at our jobs, and our homes. But the more common word that we, we're going to use this morning is this. It's the word purpose. Purpose is defined as this. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Who could tell me what this is? Anybody? Anybody? Go for it. Anybody? I'll, here, I'll show you. Put it closer. What's that? Screwdriver. Just a question for you, right? And I know some of you guys and some of you ladies that are tool people, how many of you have ever had a screwdriver in your hand and you needed a hammer and the, suddenly the screwdriver became the hammer? We've all done it, right? At some point we're like, I didn't have this, so I had this. And so you can always tell, right? How do you know? If you look right there, you can see the indentions, the marks, because the screwdriver turned into a hammer. Can I tell you when the person, whoever Mr. Phillips was, right, that invented the Phillips screwdriver, I can tell you in his brain, when he's there in his shop thinking, if only I had a tool that could take and twist something into something else if I only had a tool like that wait I have an idea what if I create something that looks like this and then you could put it into something else and you could twist it and turn it and accomplish something basically fasten something or secure something 
I can tell you in his mind, he never thought that this was this. Not one time. He never thought maybe they'll use it to hammer stuff in. Why? Because the person who designs it always knows the original intent. Always. Always. Now, that doesn't mean that someone might not use it the correct way, because they might use it the incorrect way. But the original designer, the person who invents, they know what they created it for. So you guys can kind of get where I'm going with this. Screwdriver is not so great as a hammer. It's not so great as a knife. And it's not so great as a pair of pliers. But if you need a screwdriver, can I tell you, there's nothing better than a screwdriver. If you need a hammer, there's nothing better than a hammer. If you need a knife, there's nothing better than a knife. And as I lay out kind of the hook for you this morning, it's this. In your life, if you have felt like you are a round peg trying to go into a square hole, can I tell you it's possible that you might be a screwdriver trying to operate like a hammer? And God is not interested in changing you from a screwdriver to a hammer. He is interested in making you the best screwdriver, hammer, knife, pliers, remote control, cell phone, whatever it is. You get where I'm going with this. Whatever it is he has called you to be, he wants you to be that. And he wants you to be the best at it. Unapologetically. He wants you to be the best at it. So this morning, as we kind of dive in, I want to say to you a scripture that is foundational in our lives. How many of you guys have memorized Jeremiah 29 11? If you've never heard it, I want to read it to you this morning. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for you before you were born he knew you, and he knew what gifts, what talents, and specifically what calling he had on your life before you were ever born. It's a crazy thought to think that whatever choices I've made in my life, God still has a calling regardless of what I've done in my life. Nothing changes it. Nothing impacts it. So this morning, I want you to understand, as we talk about the creator, right, the designer, the inventor, as Christians or as people who are wrestling with the idea of faith, until we settle the question of if God is our creator, it's difficult to determine our purpose in life. In other words, if you, can't, if you haven't figured out who designed this, then you don't understand what the purpose is. But once you understand who created you or who designed you, purpose gets a little bit easier because you can go back to who? The original designer and find out why they made this thing why they made it. Once we settle this question, we can go back to God and ask him, God, what is my purpose? What is my calling? Church, our calling comes from God because God is the creator and the only one who knows the original intention. You can't ask your spouse. You can't ask your kids. You can't ask your boss. You have to get this from God. God requires it of you to know what you're supposed to do in life. You got to go back to him. You have to go back to him. So today I want to do this. I want, with the remaining time that I have, I want to try to demystify calling by looking in the scriptures at David's, David's life. So we pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you 
that even this morning as we, as we sing these worship songs, God, as faith and expectation are stirring in our hearts as we're, God, as we're looking at you saying, God, what are you going to do with me today? Father, I pray that every intention, every purpose, God, everything that you have for us, God, will be fulfilled today. God, not because we did something good or because we did something right, but because you were kind, you were gracious. As Pastor James so eloquently said, you were faithful. God, you caused that work to happen in us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at a few scriptures in 1 Samuel 16. Many of you have probably studied the life of David, but we're going to talk about the early days or some of the first accounts that we see with David. And what I, what I hope for us today is this, that as we see David's life, we can identify and understand David had a starting point, he had a process, and then he saw the thing that God had promised him initially fulfilled. We have to understand in our lives, we've got a starting point, then we've got a process, then we move into where we're walking into our calling. But you can't just start walking into your calling. You've got to start at first base. How many of you guys are baseball fans? Anybody? How many of you guys have been watching the World, uh, World Baseball uh, Classic or World Baseball? Anybody? Nope, just me. It's all right. It's good. So, uh, Trust me, it's good. You don't have to watch it for yourself. But I love it because a lot of major league players are actually playing on, the, on their different teams. And what I'm finding is this, is that the competition is all over the map. And what you see is guys that have been major leaguers for 15 years, and you see guys that are still fighting through in the minor leagues, right, trying to get their big shot. And what you're looking at is different people in different levels or different processes, right, different seasons of their life. And what I want to say to you this morning is everything that I'm about to say, I want you to filter it or hear it through this, that wherever I'm at in my process, it is okay. You do not have to shame yourself or beat yourself up for not being where you quote-unquote think you should be, okay? Start where you are and let God work on you from there and be honest about it. There is no shame in that. Start where you are and move from there. 1 Samuel 16, 1. Scripture says, uh, God speaking to, to the prophet Samuel, he said, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And I want you to see the phrasing there. God says, I have provided for who? For myself. And I want you to understand that first. God's calling on your life, it is his, right? Whatever God has called you to do in life, it is between you and him. He owns it. So our identity can never be in the thing, right? Come on, Jess, am I talking the truth here? You can get real toxic when you begin to believe I am the role and not the person, okay? Seasons change, things change. If you can't be God's person before you be in that role, then what you'll begin to do is you'll begin to identify, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. So in a season where you may step out of that, you begin to ask the question, who am I? And that is never God's intention because God always wants you to know that you are his person first, so before you're in any role, in any category, in any title, in any position, you are his person. Tara De Francesca is God's daughter first. First. Then she's a mom. Then she's a wife. Then she's a pastor. 
that she's all these other titles. But when we begin to understand that we are first child of God, when we settle that and make that central in our life, we never let it get toxic. But when we think that somehow we have to be the role before we're the person, that's when it gets difficult. And so what I want to say to you this morning, God had called David before anybody else even knew who he was. Before anybody else knew who he was. Dad and brothers knew who he was, but besides that, why do you think when Samuel goes there, he doesn't even ask for David. He doesn't even ask for him. He's looking at all the other sons, and he's like, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think he's here. Can you imagine the awkwardness of that question? Right when he says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Right? How weird of a question is that? Do you have any more? And Jesse says, oh, yeah, 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 I, I do, I do. I'll, uh, I'll go send for him. Right? How weird is that? And here's the truth, guys. If that was me, man, I would have potentially found some reasons to be offended, right? Dad, you didn't even think enough of me to invite me there to see my brothers, and one of my brothers anointed as king, much less that it was my own anointing party, right? Dad, you didn't even invite me to my own party. But in times in our life, if we're not careful, we'll let that get on us. But God knew his name, and God said, I provided for myself a king. Dad couldn't see it. Samuel couldn't see it. Brothers couldn't see it. Nobody else could see it. But God said it. So God had a plan and purpose before David could even give words to it. He felt something inside but couldn't say exactly what it was. So I, Lori and I were talking about this as I was kind of processing through this. You would think that after the prophet tells David, hey, you're going to be king, you would think that there would be what? Like a clear next step, right? So David, now that I've anointed you king, here's what I need you to do. And from everything that I can see in the scripture, none of that happened. Basically, David gets downloaded with, hey, you're going to be the king, and God's going to use you. And then Samuel basically walks away, just leaves it wide open. So David's there, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be king. Like, what, what do I do? From everything that he could see, what he does is he goes back to the fields. And can I tell you, church, sometimes in our life, God will speak to us about things, and we will think automatically, well, God, that means it's going to happen today, like in two hours. Can I tell you, God sent David back to the field so he would understand there is a process, there is a season, there is a timing for this thing. And some of us get in such a hurry about this thing that we think, God, it's got to happen today, it's got to happen next week, it's got to happen this month. God, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And God has parked you on the back 40. And you're looking around saying, God, this looks nothing like a kingdom. And yet God is preparing you before anything else can happen. Then we see next thing is in 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. So Goliath is out there taunting the armies of Israel. And then all of a sudden, David comes along bringing grilled cheese right to his brothers. Hey, guys, I came to bring lunch because Dad told me to bring some lunch. So, uh... What's going on? They give him the whole download, and he's like, man, that's weird. Is somebody going to do something about that or not? And they're like, well, they make every excuse that they can. And David's like, man, that seems strange because, like, when I was out in the woods, when I was out on the back 40, I just, 
like there was a time where I killed a, a lion, and there was a time that I killed a bear. So, I mean, if, if that can happen, why don't we see if, if we can't take down the giant? And the brothers look at him and do exactly what his dad and Samuel had done and say, David, David, just discounting him, disregarding David. It's not going to happen. And yet in this, David says, well, I'm willing if, 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 if it's okay, if I can get some permission. And David sees this happen. In verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out, come out and line up? Why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Then in verse 20, it says, Early in the morning, David left the flock and came to the shepherd, loaded up and set out. As Jesse had directed, he reached the camp in the army and was going out to battle positions, shouting the war cry. David gets there, does his thing, and before you know it, Saul tries, to put da- Saul tries to put his armor on David, and as you can imagine, because he's skinny and young, it don't fit. And David's like, I can't do my thing in this, so do I have to wear this? And Saul's like, I guess not. So David just goes on out there, does his thing, kills, kills Goliath. <coughs> and what's a crazy thing to me is this. Nobody told David to go kill Goliath. Nobody. David, in a sense, was just being David. Just doing David things. And can I tell you, church, if you will just be you doing you things and forget about the supernatural and how it has to be supernatural in nature and just do the next right thing, do the next right thing. Taking out lunches, right? You guys need some lunch? Let's do that. Hey, that's weird. Somebody's, nobody's messing with a giant. Hey, I can do that. You want me to go do that? He does the next right thing. And it's amazing to me that he goes pretty big jump, right? Delivering grilled cheeses, now taking out the giant. So we see there was a clear next step for David, even though it was not laid out for him by the prophet. Then we see in 1 Samuel 18, Saul heard about David's uh, success, right? And so he hears the song. It's there in, it's there in verse, um, verse number 7 it's, it, of Samuel 18. It says, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was angry. He was angry. Church, can I tell you this morning, there are going to be times when as God is molding you and shaping you as you prepare to walk in your calling, that people are not going to be happy about it. They're not going to celebrate with you. They're going to point out everything that's wrong about it, everything that you shouldn't do, why it's, it's either insincere or fake or not real, or why it's too early or you shouldn't have did it this way or you shouldn't have did it that way. And the truth is this, you may not have done it perfectly, but you, might, you should have done it faithfully. And if you do it faithfully, faithful always trumps perfection. Perfection stops us from doing anything. Faithfulness causes us to just walk and do the next thing. Does that make sense? You have to, I can't jump from here to Justin. What I can do is take steps to walk down the stairs and walk to Justin so many times in our life, we're looking at one gigantic step when it is a series of 27 steps. And if you will take step one, then you can get to step five and five to eight and eight to 12 and so on and so forth. You don't just make one to 27. You walk the steps out. Saul got angry, but it didn't stop David. What's crazy to me is this. Saul invited David into his household. I have to believe that somehow Saul heard that David had been anointed king. I have to believe that somewhere in there 
he had at least heard rumors that something somewhere had happened with the prophet. David brings, or Saul brings David into his house. And can I tell you, there are times in your life where you're going to feel like God brought you to a place that's toxic. And God, I just got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And God puts you there on purpose. And I'm convinced as you look at the scriptures, I'm convinced this. David needed to go into the palace to see what it was like. Potentially even to see what it was like toxically, like bad. So that he came into his reign. He would know what it should never look like. There are times in your life that you've gone through stuff, that you've been hurt, that you've been isolated, that you have set through things, and you said, God, there's no purpose and no intention in this. And can I tell you it's possible that God might be using that just to show you what it should never look like, to have you go the other way. This is exactly what we're going to avoid. So let's keep going here. So we see David gets, gets in the palace, and while David's there playing his, his harp, we see Saul doesn't like it anymore because he's jealous. And what does he do? He does what every good king who's appreciative of the musicians in his house. He grabs his spear and he tries to throw it at David and pin David to the wall. Right? I mean, that's what you do when you have good musicians. You appreciate them. You appreciate the work that they're doing. You guys are so good. You play so skillfully. Thank you for doing that. It's really helping me. And by the way, I've got a spear for you. I need you to stand right here. I'm just going to pin you to the wall with it and all of a sudden David realized oh man this is bad I got to go so he does he leaves and we pick up in first Samuel 22 David in the cave so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam where his brothers and his father's house heard about it and they went down to him there and all those who were there in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander, about 400 men, were there with him. If I'm on the run for my life, I'm not going to lie. You know who I'm hoping God sends, sends there? The really confident, skilled, hopefully some spear chuckers, right? If we're, if, we're being, if we're being honest here, right? If we're, if we're doing spears, I guess we're doing spears now. Okay, let me get some spear chuckers on my side, and we can do this, right? I need some spear chuckers. But who God sent him, I want you to pay attention to this, all those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented. Does that sound like an army to you? That sounds like a dysfunctional army. There's a guy in, um, in the congregation. He actually is a, well, actually a couple guys, but one of them is a basketball coach. And uh, I, went to, I went to one of his games one time, and I will tell you, I watched him uh, literally play every position from the sideline, like as he was coaching. It was one of my favorite things. I've ever seen. He's a great coach, and you could see, like, the kid was shooting, he, he'd do that, right? And if he needed a pass, he'd do that. He was doing that, and he was coaching, and what I found was this. He was such a good coach, because when they came back to the sideline, number one, he did something, said something positive first, right? And then he let him have it, right? Then he let him have it. This is the five things that I need you to change, and he's a great coach, because he understands you have to have the people's heart before they can hear from you, Right? You have to know that people care, that you care about someone before you can share difficult things. So you got to find some positive, then you do it. I have to believe as David is in that cave, he's looking around thinking, man, this is not a good start. This is not a good start. I would, God, is there anybody else you can send me, right? I'm okay with them, but I need some all-stars. Like, give me some ringers, right? Give me some people that are, that are really going to help me. 
But church, I want to say to you this morning, in your life, it's very possible if you're on the run trying to figure out, God, where have you called, where have you called me to be? What have you called me to do? That the people who God puts around you as you're in process, they're there for two reasons. To help you and for you to help them. We are a community. We get better when we open up our lives to trustworthy people. Not just anybody, right? But trustworthy people. See, church, the cave is the moment in our lives where we struggle to reconcile what God has said and what we are currently facing. We're all either questioning, why am I here? What did I do wrong? Did I hear you wrong? Why does it look like this? And when is this thing that you said was going to happen? When is it going to happen? So we're all somewhere in that process. And in order to discover our purpose and walk it out, we need to recognize where we are in this process. How many of you guys are John Maxwell fans? Anybody ever read any of his books? John Maxwell is an incredible author, incredible speaker. He is best known for leadership, right? That's his, kind of, that's his niche. But in, uh, in one of his most famous books, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, Maxwell says this. He said, God gives a man a vision, God kills the man, and then God causes the vision to come to pass, or God caused that thing to come to pass. In David's life, David heard very clearly, I'm going to be king. But what God needed David to understand was you're not going to be king because you did something right. You're going to be king because I said you're going to be king. And that is important to understand because David did not have to make his identity king. His identity was God's person. And in your life, if you will settle that you are God's person before you're in any other role, you can walk in confidence and in confidence in your calling to know that I don't have to do this so that God will love me or so that God will accept me. I can do this thing from a place of I'm already accepted. And as we're learning in our freedom group, when you understand that you're already accepted, you can stop fighting for acceptance. When you understand that you're already loved, you can stop fighting to be loved. Church, so much of our life, we are trying to communicate back to God. For those of us who are believers, God, I really do love you, so let me show you how much I love you by giving my life back to you. And while as good-natured and as pure as that may be, it can be toxic because we begin to, be begin to believe that we have to do something good to stay in that love or to stay in that acceptance. And church, can I tell you, you did nothing good to get there anyway. So you can't do something good to stay there. In other words, if something is free, you cannot buy it. If something is free, you can't buy it. And it's disrespect. It is disrespectful when someone gives you a gift and you try to offer them money for it. Why? Because the intention was always that it was a gift. The moment that you offer them money, it becomes a transaction. And transactional dynamics are not relational dynamics. There are people sitting in churches all over America and all over the world today trying to figure out how to do good, do better, do right. And God is saying, you did nothing good. You did nothing better. You did nothing right. I did good. I sent my son. I caused all the good. And because of that, that is why we can know that we are loved and accepted. And when we start at that place, we can begin to wrestle 
with dynamics of calling, of purpose, because we're no longer fighting to get something that God has given to us already. You're no longer fighting for something that you can already possess. It may seem harsh to think that God would give a man a vision, God would kill the man, and then God would cause the vision to come to pass. But Jesus says it like this. He says, come, follow me. Take up your cross specifically and follow me. In church, there are times in our life where we get shocked that God would have us do difficult things or walk through difficult things. Can I tell you, Jesus is not scared of asking you to walk through difficult things. Do you know why? Because he knows at the end of the difficult thing is you coming out prepared to walk in your purpose, prepared to walk in your calling. I heard someone say the two most important days in your life are number one, the day that you were born, and number two, the day you find out why. For those of you who've been to your growth track, you understand we spend a lot of time in growth track talking about this very thing, how did God make you, and understanding that God did not make a mistake when he made you. In order to walk in calling, it's three things. I'm going to hit them pretty quick. In order to walk in our calling, we have to, number one, let God speak for us. For those of us who walk in shame and always feel like, God, I'm not good enough for what you've done. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. You have to understand, you were never good enough. And because you were never good enough, the only thing you can do is humble yourself and say, God, I'm grateful. And God never wants to change that dynamic for the remainder of your life, as long as you're a believer. He wants you to understand he loves you, and you did nothing right except choose him. And that's all he's ever asked, is that you choose him. So in moments where we feel we want to talk shame and hurt and self-degradation self and make ourselves feel bad, we need to understand that God speaks for you and God says, no, you are my son, you are my daughter. And in moments where we want God to speak and we're impatient and we're scared and we're nervous and we speak up, we're like, God, I don't know if you're going to speak up for me in this. We let our fear, we let our anxiety trigger us. But we have to understand when we let God speak for us, he says it at the exact right time. And he says exactly what we need. David needed someone to speak up for him. And if you go back and look in 1 Samuel 22, you will find that a prophet that we hear very little about, Gad, God sent Gad there to tell him something. Was it significant? I don't know. But the fact that God sent someone, God did, sent someone to David should remind you this morning that when I need God to speak up for me, he will send a random person who may not even know who I am to me to speak on my behalf. You need to understand that you are not in this thing alone. God has purpose, intention. And when, as we're pursuing our calling, as we're pursuing God for this, we've got to let God speak for us. Number two, we've got to look, let God look out for us. Here's why. Because you cannot see over the next hill. You can't. As much as you want to, and I want to, you cannot you see what you see, and you make your best decisions on what you see. 
We have to trust God that he can do exactly what he's going to do because he can see the end from the beginning. He sees every bit of it. So he knows what's over the next hill. He can do it. He can look out for us. He can cause this. He saw it in David's life. He did it in David's life. When David didn't have the ability to see what was next, God was doing it, was speaking on his behalf. Third, we have to let God move us. Because self-preservation is natural. But it's not the gospel. Self-preservation is natural, but it is not the gospel. Jesus said, come, take up your cross and follow me. If he was doing things according to our culture, Jesus would have said, consider how much time you have. Consider your emotional wellness, right? How much rest have you had? What's your diet look like? How much money do you have in the bank? How does the road look? Is the road, is the road okay? Like, is it... Is it smooth? And yet Jesus says none of that. Do you know why? Because he is not concerned about how difficult it is. Because he will be with you in the difficulty. See, sometimes I like orange juice. Okay? I like orange juice. Do you know how they get the juice out of the orange? They squeeze it. I mean, if we're being compassionate here, is there no compassion for the orange? They're just squeezing the life out of that orange. No consideration for the well-being of the orange. Why? Because in that scenario, the juice is more important than the fruit. And in your life, in your life, you can oftentimes look and say, well, God, I need to look out for myself. And I understand there's a balance to this, and there is a balance to this, hear me. There is a balance to this. But if we're not careful, we will get so caught up in taking care of ourselves that we will silence the voice of the Holy Spirit when He says, Come closer, come sooner, walk longer, go harder, do more, be better, don't shut down, don't stop, don't quit, don't give up. Because of this, because He is not interested in your convenience, He is interested in you walking in your calling. So God had to get David out of the field into the cave into the cave by way of going to the palace and ducking spears. And he got to the cave, and can I tell you, God put him in the cave. The cave did not feel like a great landing spot. It did not feel like a good landing spot, but yet it was exactly where God wanted him to be. Exactly. He could not have picked a more perfect place. And today I just want to say to you, if you're in that place today and you say, God, feel like you said something and yet where I'm at they they don't mesh they don't feel like they mesh and what I want to say to you today is this you hold steady do not give yourself an out yeah it's difficult yeah it's not ideal but don't give yourself an out because at the end of the not ideal situation if we trust God with it we walk back into that same palace this time not ducking spears and not living in a toxic kingdom but leading and leading from a place of health because we never needed it anyway 
church, can I tell you? The thing that God will call you to do, it's bigger than you. It's more difficult than you. It's more important than you, but yet God lets you be a part of it, and he still loves you and calls you his person. You are his person first. We stand with me this morning. And as, as we're wrapping this thing up, I want to say, I want to communicate to you Ephesians 4.11. And I want to talk to you people that are church people that have grown up in the church. Some of us, we have believed through the years that there is no other calling, there's no other, quote, calling than to stand up here and speak or sing a song. Those are the only places you could be called to. And can I tell you, that is not in the Bible. The Bible does not reinforce that position. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. To equip who? His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. For years I grew up thinking, God, I, my life is yours. My life is yours, so I'll do whatever you want. And I had no other context than to think that if God, you, if you really wanted to use me, it had to be standing here. Or it had to be sitting there. There was no other box. And so what I did for years, I chased this. And I needed this. I couldn't sit there. I had to stand here. And because I had to stand here, I didn't believe God that it was just okay to be his person. I needed to be this. I needed to be the title. I needed to be the position. And church, when you need to be the position... What it is saying is that you don't really believe that God loves you enough and it is okay to just be his person. Can I tell you this morning, it is okay to just be his person. Potentially the highest calling in your life may be to be a banker. It may be to be a business owner. It may be to be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother. It may be to be an employee, a faithful employee. It may be to do whatever and whenever. But when we understand this, we can say yes to God and not need something else. Because the moment that we need one other thing, we've said, God, you're not enough. And church, here's the truth. He is enough. He's enough for your insecurities, for your hurts, for your wounds, for your questions, for whatever. He is enough. So my challenge to you today is this. In hacking our purpose, I want to say to you, in places where you've tried to vouch for yourself, speak up for yourself because you were scared that God wouldn't speak up for you or nobody would speak up for you, I want you to trust the God of the universe who sees everything that you're facing and everything that you're experiencing he will call someone from nowhere to come into your life to speak on your behalf. I want you to trust that he who can see 
the end from the beginning, can send someone, can speak something, can give you clarity, can give you wisdom without you needing to put a stranglehold on it. He can do that. And I felt this so strong in my preparation this week. For those of you who feel like, God, it's uncomfortable, I want you to hear me very clearly. Don't squirm. Don't squirm and resist the urge to just move because it's difficult. Because here's the deal. It's easier to walk away than it is to sit in it and fight through it. It's easier. It's easier to quit a job than it is to try and fix the dynamics in your work relationships. Than to have a difficult conversation with your boss. And there are times and there are seasons. I get it. But I want you to hear this morning. Let's talk about church. You cannot think that if I leave, the problem is going to get fixed. All that will happen is you'll take the problem with you. So the next place you go, you'll carry your toxic, toxic stuff with you. And you'll walk in there saying, man, this is exactly the same. The people are the same. I can't trust them. I don't like them. They're fake. They're this. They're that. The whole time it's in you. Pray this with me this morning. Jesus, I thank you that, that you're faithful. God, I thank you that you are causing all good things to happen in us. God, I thank you the same way before David was even born, you knew his name, you had purpose, you had intention. Father, I pray that you would remind us today, God, that we do have a purpose. God, and that number one purpose is to, is to be your person, is to have a relationship with you. So this morning, if, if you're here today and you say, Brandon, I've never started, a, I, I don't have a relationship with God, I don't even know what that means, really. If that's you, in just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer, to, prayer together. And I want to pray with you. And you're going to start that relationship with God today, not because you're perfect, not because you did something right, but because you recognize, God, I need you in my life. And the second group we're going to pray for in just a minute is, is those who say, Brandon, I'm in process. And I want to be faithful to not shortcut the process that God has me walking through. Because I want to see God use me. And I want to be everything that he's called and intended for me to be. If that's you today and you say, I need to start a relationship with God, will you do me a favor? Will you raise your hand? We want to pray for you. All right. Church, will you pray after me this morning? Say, dear Jesus. Thank you that you loved me before I could ask you. You love me deeply and strong. Thank you for giving your life for me. I ask you, come into my heart, change my life, make me new in Christ's name. For those of you here this morning who are struggling in shame, And for those of you who are struggling, saying, God, I'm just not where I need to be, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, will you raise your hands this morning? And I just want to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you this morning that you are so good, that you love us enough to not leave us where we are, that you are committed to helping us become the people that you've called us to be so that we can walk in our purpose, the calling that you have for us. It's in Christ's name 
we pray. Amen. We you put your hands together this morning.